welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time Andy Hart, happy birthday, America. Wonderful to see you, man. Great to see you too, man. I was hanging out with some some very friendly, very wealthy people. I was chilling in a pool, got to see one of the nicest apartments I've ever been at. Has really? A great view of the fireworks. In downtown Birmingham? the bougiest July 4th I've ever experienced. Not, you guys- not ever in New York City, but here in Birmingham. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I, I mean, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I was in a pool for probably like six hours. What's your like, man, I'm peeling everywhere? You're like a tire. Like, are you in like, are you a board shorts guy? Are you like a kind of speedo, speedo only? Really? No. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say like, wow, you've changed. No, uh, no, okay. a board short guy. Jersey, once Jersey, always Jersey. Come was on. it a family pool or was it like a cool like bar type pool? Like, no. So it it's a public pool. Yeah. It's hard to, so it's this apartment complex on one of the hills here. It's kind of like Pittsburgh, very hilly, but you've got okay. great views from these hills. It's kind of like a Miami apartment building, like hurricane safe. Wow. Um, but it's like, they're also like super huge apartments. They're very nice. And there's this pool, shared pool that, what's, I don't know, I guess it's nicer than usual. What's the energy like in a luxury pool in Birmingham on July 4th? Is it very like kid Everyone's, rock? Or no, like no, no, no. I mean, like what, what are people listening to? No, no. It's, I mean, I, People in Birmingham are self-consciously not like the rednecks, while at the same time, they love keeping Birmingham as a secret to the world. Like they kind of, I was talking to some of them and they were like, I kind of enjoy when New Yorkers from Cali are like, oh, I could never go there. It's totally. Alabama. It's like, well, hey, you know, everything that's nice is cheaper and yeah, these people out. <laughs> I was like, oh, fair enough. But no, another, I mean, we were listening to like, indie music okay it was was pretty great that's cool yeah that's cool people are so nice though man it's just so different than new york so friendly (laughs) so yeah it's it's like that here in raleigh too very much so so but what about you i mean you just you hang out with your kid yeah pretty much uh dogs we didn't i don't even know you know we hung out with some friends on sunday um and then yeah it's just hard with a kid two dogs you know like leaving is such an ordeal it's almost easier to like just relax at home. Um, I, I saw Me Without You uh, on their their farewell concert. That was That's really cool. fun. I've been really kind of into their music in the past couple of weeks, which very little did I actually know. I, I remember them from like 2003 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, they've been going for 20 years. And a lot of it's very good. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I they're no idea. Band. They're a very cool band. So what about you? Um, you well, to be like the concert king, man. Every yeah. week there was something new. Yeah, I mean, now I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been reading this book. You like George Sanders, right? We've, yeah. Have we talked about George Sanders yet? He wrote sure. a book called A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, I think is what it's called. And it's a, he used to teach this class on Russian stor- short stories, like Tolstoy, Turgenev, um, all the, the heavy hitters. And it's a book about writing and about the creative process. And you basically read this, a short story 
And then for 20 to 30 pages, he'll kind of talk about it, but also talk about the craft of fiction writing, the, the creative process, as I already said. Yeah, I think this will not be super interesting to anyone who doesn't write sermons all the time. But I do think of sermon, like if you're a weekly preacher, mm-hmm. you kind of live a writing life in a lot of ways. Not that your sermon is something that you turn in to analyze and prose, but you're constantly thinking about how to say things or images or metaphors, things that work. And one of the things that he talks a lot about is the way that to be a good writer is, is to be someone who learns in your own instincts very well. But he, he talks about the process of editing as like, he'll take a page of a short story and he has this like mental checklist, like P on one hand, positive and on one hand, negative. And as he goes through a page, he'll just make mental notes, like positive, positive, negative, negative, positive, negative, positive. And he edits like by assuming him, like he pictures himself as a first time reader of this sentence or paragraph. And it's like, is this good? Is this not? Is this good? Is this not? And so the process of writing is learning to trust yourself as if you are the reader of your text for the very first time. And that feels to me so true of what sermon writing is, man, is like, you're not turning it in again, it's heard, not read, but you're trying to think through what you have to say. And you're putting yourself in the mind of your congregant. And you're like, is this boring? Is this honest? Is this interesting? Is this rooted in the Bible? Or is this just Nick? And you're constantly just cutting, 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 because you put yourself in the in the seats of your hearers and you're like, no, this isn't good. This doesn't hold water or this isn't honest. I don't know. It's I I I find it so fascinating. As someone who loves craft, whether it's cycling or woodworking or painting, when people talk about what they do and they're really good at it, I find that stuff endlessly fascinating. I could see that. I mean, not someone like George Saunders because he's incredible, but I could see some people talking about their craft and being dry as dust, and then others you being like. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pour this on me. Well, he's just a very good writer. So like spending time with him and his voice in your head is, is very, uh, very gratifying. Well, speaking of graft, uh, Psalm 82, man, this is a weird one. I'm excited to hear you walk me and us through it. Uh, it goes like this. God takes his stand in the council of heaven. He gives judgment in the midst of the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show favor to the wicked? Save the weak and the orphan, defend the humble and needy, rescue the weak and the poor, deliver them from the power of the wicked. They do not know, neither do they understand. They go about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now I say to you, you are gods and all of you children of the most high. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, and rule the earth for you shall take the nations for your own. As Nick said, this is a very weird psalm. I don't know if there's anyone quite like it. So before we get into maybe an analysis or our commentary on it, let's say what's happening. Because it can be, I had to read it three or four times before I realized, all right, who's speaking when? So the verse one seems to be an intro. God takes his stand in the council of heaven and he's giving judgment in the midst of gods, which is weird, right? We believe in the triune God. Hence, our triune pod, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're monotheists, we believe in the one God. And yet here, the psalmist is saying, capital G God takes his stand in the council of heaven and gives judgment on lowercase g, gods. So it seems like verse 2 begins with God, or Yahweh, speaking to the lowercase g, gods, and he is judging them. 
Why is he judging them? They show favor to the wicked. They don't save the weak and the orphan. They don't defend the humble and needy. They don't rescue the weak and the poor, etc. So this kind of diatribe against the gods ends at the end of verse 7. And then it seems as if we're saying to God, in light of the fact that God has judged these gods, he said they're going to die like mere mortals. He's essentially cast judgment upon them. And then we seem to say to God, or the psalmist says, arise, O God, rule the earth, for you shall take all the nations for your own. Anything you want to add to that? Is that clear uh, as, <laughs> as mud? Clear as mud. So in, uh, in verse six, now I say to you, you are gods and all of you children of the most high. Is that the psalmist speaking to his hearers? He's casting judgment upon these gods. Okay. So God is speaking initially in the prayer book version, verses two through five to the, who's he talking to? <laughs> he's talking to the gods. He's saying, I think he's essentially here giving them a chance. He's, how long will you judge unjustly? And who are and the gods? favor to the wicked. Who and are the telling gods? telling them, save the weak. Well, I was going to say, we're going to get there. Well, um, that's my question, Ben yeah, There does seem to be this, all right, now the work, we're going there. It does seem to be that this psalm takes in the mythological milieu of its time, probably before its time. And maybe it is essentially talking about the transition from people being polytheists to monotheists. That's not that interesting. What I think is what's going on here, every nation kind of has their gods, right? And the one true God, Adonai, is casting judgment on all of them. And by virtue of that is casting judgment on the peoples of the earth. Okay. Um, the rulers of the world. Um, they, they are judging unjustly. Um, they are showing favor to the wicked. And really, I think the content of this Psalm is to say to the people of Israel, to say to the church today, save the weak and the orphan, mm -hmm. defend the humble and the needy, rescue the weak and the poor. And obviously, ultimately, like we have not done a good job, at this either history of christian <laughs> christian history shows this uh so this is really a picture of the reign of god yeah of the kingdom of god and that's and that's why we say this psalm even now we might not have a, a milieu like this one we we I get confused by talk of the gods but but our cry is the same arise oh god rule yeah. the earth yeah you shall take all the nations for your own and then that, that is that's good news uh, that's, yeah deliverance for the captives based on yeah that. no that makes sense i mean i'm not saying i understand it but like i'm following your your train of thought um that if you if you take stock of human societies whether their gods are literal idols or their gods are government structures or a global marketplace they do not defend the humble and needy they do not rescue the weak and the poor and it, is, is that, is that right? Is that? Yeah. I mean, I think we could do that. We, I think we could do it too. like, yeah, the idols of any era. So the idol might be the fatherland or the economy or you fill in the blank. Yeah. I was, I was reading recently. Uh, I think it was Karl Barth, but critiques of um, when we, when we talk about these abstract concepts as if they're immovable, like, Oh, it's just the economy. You have to, you know, accept oh, totally. this, or you yeah. have to, you know, whatever you want it to be. It could be something on the right or the left. And we, we so easily get caught in this, like, oh, there's nothing that can be done about this. It's, 
X. Really, what Barb seems to be doing is saying that, well, that you've just made, created an idol unawares. Mm. Uh, we believe in the God who raises the dead. We don't embrace isms, uh, whether it's Marxism, whether it's you know, libertarianism, whatever it may be. Um, our God is not bound by all that. I don't know if that's really helpful, but yeah, I no, like it is. You're looking it something is. up. <laughs> uh, I was trying to find this great quote uh, by the uh, Zizek, the um, oh yeah, 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 the is he Slovakian Zizek or something? Zizek, yeah, I never say that right, but he has this great line: "It's easier to imagine an end to the world than an end to capitalism." <laughs> it's this critique yeah. of how monolithic and hegemonic that kind of idea of the market is, and how we can't imagine a world without it. I think before she died, uh, I'm going to butcher her name, so correct me. Ursula Leguin, or have you say it? She was the sci-fi writer. Okay. Uh, Left Hand of Darkness, I think was her big book. But she died recently, and before she died, she gave this lecture, this talk about how, and sorry, friends out there who are really <laughs> into the economy, we're, we're picking on this one, this one idol, I guess, among others. But she talked about how the only way we're going to imagine our way out of the economy or capitalism or the way things are just, these are just the way things are, man, is for the artists to create novels or pictures of what, what else could be. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's obviously not as simple as that, but right, uh, right. I, I thought that their family resemblance to what we're talking about right now. Yeah. It's hard because even within myself, I mean, I, you can just, there's such an impatience, right? Because we know what happens when human beings, even whether they're speaking in the name of the God of the Bible or speaking in the name of the, you know, dialectical materialism, when they kind of, there's an over-realized eschatology in the world's worst authoritarian empires or states. And that can be on a very local level. And that like, you know, we, did you watch what's the Mormon show under the banner of heaven? But uh, I don't it can, you know, it's a, it can happen on a very local level. It can happen on an empire level, like with the Soviet you know, USSR. But when you kind of take God's place and exercise hegemonic control, even in the name of rescuing the poor and the needy, like untold mm -hmm. suffering occurs. And that's Chesterton line, like, yeah, the best evidence for original sin is like the newspaper, you know, it's like the only Christian doctrine that you can verifiably prove. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, I feel like people would legitimately critique Christians for like, well, you just keep kicking the can down the road, like you're not doing anything to bring a more just humane world into existence. You're basically just saying, we can't, only God can. And I don't have a good rejoinder to that as much as to say, I just feel the force of that critique. If you want a world where the poor and the needy are rescued, that, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot because of the, you know, overturning of Roe v. Wade and like, you know, I definitely know a lot of people who feel very ambivalent about that. And they're not ambivalent about it primarily because they think abortion is a good thing in and of itself, but they recognize that we live in a world where uh, there are a lot of people who are profoundly materially disadvantaged and uh, bringing a child into the world for them feels untenable. And that, that is true. Like, I feel the force of that critique too, even if I don't agree with their conclusion. And it's just, so I've been, it's been on my heart and mind a lot. It's like, yeah, what will we ever experience a world where there are not people of like that experience, like that kind of deprivation and harm. It's just, yeah, it's hard, man. It's just arise. Oh God, judge the earth. I mean, I guess that's where the psalm yeah. ends. But Come uh, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's like a, the church has always seemed to say quietism. No. So should we do nothing? No. On the flip side, create utopia. 
you're going to fall into more idols or more traps. And maybe the New Testament authors who emphasize so much that Jesus is coming is right around the corner and they're praying for it and hoping for it. And maybe even they really, truly thought it was going to happen within their lifetimes. Like maybe that's just the perpetual posture of the Christian, like praying, Lord Jesus, come, may your kingdom come, your will be done. And in the meantime, I am going to do in the words of frozen the next right thing <laughs> oh yeah. yeah um maybe part of my pledge is given toward you know groups are doing great work with homelessness or this or that but i i share in this same frustration I tend to think that the a solution is going to come about probably from like an elon musk or like you know a technological wizard and yeah. then you realize like they're just going to create more problems totally but yeah i don't want it to be a defeatist like well i'm just gonna do nothing and actually you know all those parts of the scripture where jesus tells us to do hard things i'm just gonna be like well you know i don't want i can't build utopia so i'm just gonna hoard everything mm. um sorry listeners i don't think we have any way forward other than do the next right thing and then you know pray not nothing pray yeah who knows yeah. and some prayer, people might just things. be called to do radical things i mean we probably are all are some of us are actually you know by the power of the spirit gonna unashamedly and unafraid call things out and maybe get crucified for it along the way mm. uh, yeah not me all right ben pray us <laughs> out man all right somebody too god takes his stand in the council of heaven he gives judgment in the midst of the gods how long will you judge unjustly and show favor to the wicked save the weak and the orphan Defend the humble and needy. Rescue the weak and the poor. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. They do not know, neither do they understand. They go about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now I say to you, you are gods, and all of you children of the Most High. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, and rule the earth, for you shall take all nations for your own. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.